sleeper must awake. Well, hello everyone. As you can probably hear in my voice right now, oozing out of every syllable I'm uttering, I am the epitome of cool. Yes, folks, I am feeling extremely cool. I feel like a star, kind of. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm still. It, it's still me. Um, in fact, uh, if you're watching on on YouTube and you see the sunglasses which I'm wearing at night to be extra cool, I'm gonna have to take them off because I can't see shit in them. They're non-prescription. <laughs> um, so what was that? What was that very awkward intro? Well, that was me feeling cool. I mean, today's guest is Mitch Horowitz. I mean, this guy has a cool factor that can uh, dwarf um, anyone's cool factor in the esoterica and spiritual field uh, like easily so um, so I got to talk with Mitch which is something that I, I've been wanting to do for many years and uh, as I was saying in the interview uh, with him um It would happen sometimes when uh, I would be listening to him uh, while at work, alone at work, by the way. So I'm not so just uh, don't you think that I'm, I'm extra crazy? Um, and I'd be listening to him and then he would say something that I would that would spark, you know, my mind to just either disagree or expand on or whatever. So I'd have to pause uh the whatever interview or lecture and kind of out loud just express how i was feeling about um what i just heard and uh, what i just heard and what i what i was thinking and so i i'm i'm being quite literal when i say that um mitch has been a very thought-provoking person in my life and, and, and very influential uh, to say the least so yeah uh, it's hard for me to by the way I'm sorry for this really weird intro it's just really hard for me to um, to summarize how I felt uh, I just felt really good having this discussion and uh, that's why I'm extra giggly in this one Because I, w I was just thinking at times, you know, like, oh, that's what I want to do, like, all the time. I want to have those discussions, and especially with someone like Mitch. Um, that was wild, man. That was one of my favorites. So uh, I'm not going to expand too long. I'm sorry again if it's, it's kind of a messy intro which Mitch doesn't deserve he Mitch he 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 deserves something much better than this but 
I'm really moved, and I was uh, um, kind of on a on a high. <laughs> I was kind of high after that interview uh, because, yeah, I enjoyed it so much. So, you know what? I'm just gonna go with the uh, um, Mitch's bio that I, I uh, just put together. Which was pretty hard in itself because Mitch has done so many things. <clears throat> she can all see on his website in the about section. But if uh, for some reason you don't know Mitch and you're listening to this, because, you know, episode 14, people are coming for the guests, not for me. <laughs> Maybe one day they'll come for me, but not now. So in case you don't know Mitch, uh, here's a quick bio. Mitch Horowitz, a distinguished historian of alternative spirituality, is renowned for his erudite exploration of esoterica, mysticism, and the occult. Through his work, Horowitz not only delves into outsider history, emphasizing its relevance to contemporary life, but also advocates for the enduring pursuit of human empowerment. A Penn Award-winning author of many books and a prolific lecturer, he has many times answered the call to discuss the seeker's path on many platforms from the most obscure, like uh, kind of like this one, uh, <laughs> to the most mainstream. And to top it all off, maybe his crowning achievement, Mitch Horowitz is currently censored in China. <laughs> There you go. So, oh yeah, I should probably add at this point, if you're listening to this episode on the day of the release, especially if it's still morning or uh, if in the afternoon. Uh, so specifically, uh, if you're listening to this on Thursday, Uh, February 22nd, 2024, uh, a course, Mitch starts a, a course, uh, I think it's a series of six courses uh, called Icons of Modern Esoterica um, at the uh, Theosophical Society, but you can subscribe online. So it starts tonight. So uh, yeah, if you're listening to this before This, the, the course starts, you can probably, I guess, still uh, enroll. So there you go. All right, some quick, quick notes before I uh, move on. Uh, next week is going to be a solo show. Uh, I have a subject in mind. I'm pretty sure that's going to be the subject of the show. And if I stick with that one, it's going to be a pretty important one. Uh, because it has to do, well, I mean, it's personally uh, important, but also um, it has to do with the kind of the core of the show. And it's a subject that I think it's important not to belabor it too much, but it's important to at least put it out there at least once. Isn't that mysterious? <laughs> I hope the subject um, really inspires me because if I change last minute, this will all be for naught. Uh, all right. 
So, uh, there you go. After that, I'm taking a week off from the show um, to work on other things. Uh, but the interviews are coming back in March. I already have a bunch of uh, guests booked, um, discussions that I, I can't wait to have and that I can't wait to share. So, there you go. Again, I want to thank everyone who's been leaving comments and subscribing um you know in youtube and social media era terms it's not a big number but that there's anyone at all that want uh that would feel like they want to um uh, follow Uh, this work like, is amazing to me, so I can't thank you enough to subscribe and just interact with uh, me and the show on all the platforms, so thank you. So, there you go. Uh, as usual, if you like this show, you can subscribe to it if you're not already subscribed. Um, like the episode if you like it, dislike it if you don't. Uh, leave comments, whether good or bad. Leave questions if you want. Um, also, there's a Patreon that you can, uh, where you can um, support my work. And uh, there you go. So I've talked enough, and now uh, it's time for this very, very cool discussion with Mitch Horowitz. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, hello, Mr. Horowitz. <laughs> Good to be here, man. I'm super excited. I've been uh, hoping to uh, have this opportunity to speak with you. Uh, actually, probably way before I started uh, I thinking about having a podcast. Uh, because uh, as some, I guess, of my viewers might know, I used to work in a in a warehouse and I had a very like repetitive job and to me you're one of the I would listen to podcasts and presentations and all day long like thousands of hours basically mm -hmm. and to me you've always been uh one of the most thought-provoking um writer lecturer uh, uh yeah sure. and I mean it in in uh in a, a very deep way, as in, okay. I would consider what you're saying and really grasp it, you know, <laughs> and struggle with it. And sometimes I'm like, Yo. no, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. And sometimes, but, but I'm like, this guy's so bright. So he knows what he's saying. So I'm probably wrong and just, you know, so you've been one of the most influential uh people in my life my life in the last few years and we've had many conversations before even though you don't know it <laughs> i appreciate it thank you man yeah, it's good to be here great so um listen um i'd like to start if you don't mind with a um a link with the two last episodes it was completely um unscripted or an unplanned um so the last episode was with ronnie pontiac and the one before 
was with um, uh, Jill Emery, who was a member of uh, Hole and other rock and punk bands in the in the '90s and I guess in the '80s. Um, so there's and Ronnie has been also playing in bands and and part of the the rock and punk scene also. So here you are with the you know the the punk uh, tattoos. <laughs> I mean some of them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, to me, something that I really wanted to throw at you is: Do you see any link between? punk and mysticism and maybe tell us a little about uh what your history with punk is like just in a nutshell and sure. probably my history with punk began when i don't know i must have been maybe i was 17 years old maybe younger maybe 15 and um i think i was probably high and just <laughs> staring off in space and listening to a college radio station and uh the dead kennedy song holiday in cambodia came on and it was like nothing i had ever heard before because it was it was it was radical and revolutionary but without any tropes and it it it, it was pushing the listener away from rote thought and i was very very aroused and moved by it and it turned my head in a lot of ways. And uh, at that time, I had I had a childhood history of interest in the occult and the esoteric, particularly in folklore, but, but all facets of occult and mystical thought and extending into questions of anomalies, UFOs and flying saucers. And I was interested in the books of Carlos Castaneda and so forth. And I think the DYI quality of punk And the refusal to fit into precise categories, what is supposed to be left wing, what is supposed to be right wing, uh, which flavor of anarchism are you supposed to be into or whatever it may be. Um, mm -hmm. All of that was upended and challenged by punk, at least at that time, certainly. And I hope so still today. Um, it's very easy for us as seekers of any kind to slip into our own rote thought and orthodoxies. The first thing human beings do when they break away from an organization is build new walls in the yeah. form of rules and exclusivities and certainties and do it this way, not that way, use this term, not that term, or what have you. And we immediately start replicating the very orthodoxies from which we flee. Punk, as I saw, took a hammer to that, at least at that time and place. And I suppose that, I hope, I hope that informs my search as well, my spiritual and ethical search as well, in which I abide no walls whatsoever. I have no right to include or exclude anybody from anything. Um, my search is entirely my own, and it takes me where it goes. And uh, I, I offer uh, uh, no apologies nor any insistencies uh, in connection with it. And so... Mm -hmm. I'm reminded of a statement by the philosopher Paul Feyerabend, uh, and he said, I'm an anarchist in my private thought. Publicly, I have no right to induce anybody to uh, participate in anything or belong to anything, um, but in private thought, and he didn't use this term precisely, but in mm -hmm. search, I'm, I'm an anarchist. 
And so that's how that's how uh, punk and and my search marries. I think. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's been the same for me, and this notion of. You said it, DIY. <laughs> it yeah, was kind yeah. of a, an overarching theme of uh, my last discussion also. And it, it kind of came as a surprise. I didn't know we would be talking about that with uh, the, this last guest, with Ronnie. Uh, but it's so prevalent and I'm, I'm happy to, 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 my, to meet like-minded people because um, well, especially... Thought, I mean, you know, you've got a who's who, I think, of people who are true searchers. And that's what I really dig about what you're doing. It's early on in your development of the pod. But the thing that I really like is that there's no one coming on sort of giving a stump speech. You know, this is what I say, mm -hmm. what I'm into. And that's so routine across podcasts. Uh, there are good ones out there and people have good ideas and people say surprising things. But within the spiritual space, we face a special challenge because everything, because it's belief-based, um, can become calcified really, really fast. And mm -hmm. people become so comfortable in what they're about and conforming to what they said one year ago or six months ago or whatever. And it's boring <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> i think your pod is really for seekers so i appreciate that oh i love it thank you uh, i mean i get this this another stamp of approval i love it <laughs> uh yeah well because uh, i i did see uh you say uh that here you say sorry <laughs> that uh essentially the And I said mysticism, I, I kind of, uh, when I asked you for the link between um, uh, punk and mysticism, I I wrote occultism, actually. So, um, well, I was going somewhere also that I'm still, I'm, I'm still There's so much overlap with... in these areas, you know, I never yeah, get yeah, yeah. respect with the terms. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, let's, because I, I, I'd still, I'd like to know if you have an idea. Um, a personal idea of a difference between occultism and mysticism. Uh, you know, I, I think that, that mysticism is probably a larger umbrella under which you find all kinds of spiritual expressions. By spiritual, I mean extra-physical. And mm -hmm. it seems to me that the mystical is the idea of contacting some unseen principle of life without any mediator. So you don't need a congregation, a doctrine, the man in the robes, um, yeah. uh, a, a particular liturgy, a list of do's and don'ts. Mysticism is really a direct surge. And it, it, one can find it within what we call the religions. One can find it within the occult. Um, mm -hmm. I suppose, you know, in its highest iteration, In its highest iteration, mysticism is an effort at at direct perception of of an unseen principle. Yeah, that's exactly what how I see it, and I kind of take issue sometimes when people find it a little pompous to call oneself a, a mystic because yes. um, I think it's and and again maybe it's my my punk or a grungy uh, um, background that makes me think this but 
just because you don't you you only know three chords on on a guitar doesn't make you doesn't exactly. mean you're not a musician you know so well, but i i have that re reaction when people use the term enlightened or enlightenment which i think is a term that <laughs> I, I listen I, I use whatever term you wish you know but mm -hmm. i personally i avoid it i stay away from it because it presupposes an arrival and uh, i think that that uh, can be a mistake yeah I, I think it's the the first obstacle actually for people who want to reach any kind of uh, yeah. enlightenment and it, to it even, even use the, the term <laughs> that enlightenment exists i'm not at all sure that such yeah. a thing exists. realization enlightenment awakening all these terms these are terms from translations of ancient literature that have passed through innumerable hands permutations and I just don't know that that language necessarily serves us today because it gives us the certainty of a destination. And I'm not altogether sure that those states uh, even exist or are available to human beings beyond the momentary. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I urge people before judging that to just sit with it for a while because um, we are nerd with all these certainties via ancient literature and we're we're absolutely certain uh, uh that that decisions made by and states described by somebody else uh, must be real because they're so widely repeated and familiar to us as i often say familiarity is not truth it doesn't matter how frequently um we hear references to certain concepts that seem as 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 unquestionable as water being wet it doesn't matter it simply doesn't matter the mm -hmm. search is radically individualized profoundly um dependent i think upon self-verification not upon repeating something that i'm absolutely certain exists because it's in the dhammapada and it's in the gospels and it's in the Tao Te ching therefore it must be well says who you know the individual mm -hmm. has to discover um, those footsteps and pitfalls for him or herself. Absolutely. Well, but that said, uh, I'm still curious if if you you feel you've ever had um, an experience that you, you, you uh, that could be clumsily called a form of awakening, or maybe just a, a very cathartic experience that <laughs> it's kind of a question i was keeping more for the end but <laughs> oh no that's okay i mean i i i don't have i don't collect experiences and i'm not you know one will not infrequently meet people who are eager to pinhole us at parties or events and describe their mystical experiences to us and i always find it very tedious as if i'm looking at somebody's vacation pictures on their phone or at a certain point <laughs> Are you there now? Is this accessible to you now? Does it matter what happened to you last mm -hmm. January? I, I think that we grow so convinced that because we have this realization or awareness or sensitivity, that that somehow resets the baseline of our existence. And it it it, it doesn't, in my experience. It's simply an experience. If uh, Listen, I could describe having visited... Um, Mayan ruins in Guatemala and having had extraordinary uh, experiences, but they were fleeting and they were intermittent. And the way mm -hmm. that I talk to people in my life, my children, my partner, 
the question of how I relate to other people, they're not feeling that experience that I had seven years ago in Guatemala. They don't care if I'm being impatient or if I'm being an asshole that I had a wonderful experience <laughs> on, you know, in Mayan ruins, you know, eight years ago. I'm not there right now. Um, or if I had a wonderful experience meditating last night where I felt uh, the morphing of reality and and a kind of non-linearity. Well, is that helping if I'm paying a bill late and yeah. my, you know, whomever, my accountant needs to get paid and I'm fucking dragging my feet? Does it help him? <laughs> I had a wonderful meditation experience last night. You know, so I, I hesitate around those things. They're there. But they 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 flee us. We flee them. They go away. Uh, the aperture mm -hmm. closes. That's all. And then we're back to life. So people, you know, using these anonymous names on social media who tell you that the path is this way or that way. I mean, are they helping their best friend move? Do they show up to uh, on time if they're picking somebody up at the airport? I mean, this is the shit I want to know because our lives are in relationship. And mm -hmm. payment of debt is in relationship, not whether, you know, wow, man, I really, you know, had I went all the way down the rabbit hole when I took this drug or uh, sat for this meditation session or visited this holy site or suddenly so and so it dawned on me. If I'm not in that right now, I mm -hmm. question, you know, frankly, the degree to which it, it really matters. Maybe it matters. It tells us there's a signpost there. Um, and that matters. That matters. But mm -hmm. but otherwise, I don't think we should get too uh, too hot and heavy about it. Nice cat. Yeah, it, for <laughs> sure. He was gonna be, be um, taking his role as, as the co-host. Um, yeah. So for people who don't see him uh, on uh, audio, we have, have BB right. today. That's the as... There's a cat there, and he's very nice. <laughs> All right. Well, I completely uh, agree with um, all that you said um, as a person who have had life transform transforming experiences. I've, I feel like I've been through things that I don't talk too much about for the reasons you mentioned, uh, not only because it's kind of boring for people to <laughs> listen to them, but also because it doesn't make me any better. And I've learned that over the years and I still have to pay the rent. So exactly. Yeah. So, um, all good. I'm all good with yep. that, but I was still curious, you know, like, cause I know even sometimes, uh, you know, the, oh, I mean, there's a, there's a form of, of yoga that, uh, that is more based on the intellect and like kind of struggling with a, a, a um, a concept and, just pushing it intellectually just to its end. And you, you can sometimes, uh, I, I feel that sometimes I've had <laughs> pretty wild experiences doing that inadvertently. I, I wasn't trying to do anything specific. I'm just obsessed with some ideas sometimes. And Well, I, I think yoga of the intellect is very, very valid. And it's certainly been there for me. One of the reasons I write so extensively uh, nowadays on ESP research, psychical research, is because to me, seen from a certain perspective, that is yoga of the intellect. That is pointing towards the extra physical with replicable stats, 
that have proven unpolluted, bulletproof. And it's it's wonderful to me because these scientists are struggling with very little funding, with very little public approbation or applause, completely locked out of or smeared on uh, Wikipedia by activists, uh, mm-hmm. uh, activists in favor of a physicalist or materialist philosophical point of view, very fundamentally hostile to anything suggestive of non-local intelligence, no matter how remarkable in scope and scale and replicable in data. And it's extraordinary because we have, even if uh, J.B. Ryan's ESP card tests that he conducted at Duke University in the early 1930s, if the whole field of parapsychology had stopped dead in its tracks right there, something that much of the professional skeptics community would like, we would still have uh, statistically meritorious, replicable, unpolluted data dictating that there exists a non-local extra-physical quality of the intellect, that Mm -hmm. we as men and women are able to receive and exchange information in a laboratory setting in some way that goes beyond the five senses or known technology. And that holds true today. So here we are almost a century later, and even those early experiments which have struggled um, within the public realm, within reference media, within Wikipedia for acceptance. Uh, and that's a ongoing, uh, maybe perpetual struggle. It certainly hasn't, the dial hasn't moved very much, but the data is there and it keeps accumulating and growing. Uh, in, it is solicited in various ways. And, mm-hmm. um, and it, it tells us that extra physicality exists. That to me, although it's not an experience, is a yoga of the intellect. Then I have had experiences, some of which I've written about. Um, sometimes they've occurred over a relatively short interval period of time, uh, more frequently for me over a longer interval of time. But I've had experiences of congruity between outer event and thought that have been beyond any actuarial table, beyond any law of large <laughs> numbers, beyond anything that mm-hmm. could be contained within the usual boxes that materialist philosophy insists to find life. So it's thrilling when those things occur because one does get a glimpse, almost like in Lawrence of Arabia when they glimpse the water. Well, they're not there yet, but they know the water's there. And it's remarkable. Exactly. And I I, I guess that's, um, well, just what you described, um, I, I guess you were referring to uh, the experiences you have, you've had, like crazy, like, really mind-blowing uh, synchronicities, for example. Yep. Um, and that's something that, that often I'm remind, I'm, I remind myself of when I'm tempted to try to just take it easy and just go into a, like a metaphysical uh, tradition that will take me by the hand and whatever, because it doesn't feel to me uh, uh, the way that I'm built it doesn't feel like it's a needed thing because experiences such as crazy, those wild uh, uh, synchronicities, they they will come. You, you don't have to meditate for uh, hours on end. And, uh, you know, like they're, and I've been thinking about, about and I'd like to, to have your, your opinion on that, uh, that maybe this expansion of our, 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 our ESP 
abilities, if you want to call it that, which I feel are deeply spiritual and not just uh, entertaining, you know, um, do you feel you have just a natural propensity towards that? And this, it's kind of a almost, I feel like we're, we're witnessing kind of an additional sense that's just growing slowly within ourselves when we pay attention to these things. Is that a natural question? <laughs> well, you made a very important point, which is that these synchronicities are going to arrive, whether a person is on a search or not, whether a person considers him or herself spiritual, religious or not. Um, in fact, I would venture that some of the most memorable such stories I've ever heard come from people who were not part of the any spiritual subculture, were not necessarily looking out for anything. Um, mm -hmm. If if we uh, live lives that are both uh, material and extra physical, which I ardently believe we do, and I consider that a very warranted belief, then it stands to reason that all of us uh, uh, from time to time are going to have these experiences. In fact, these things may even extend into the UFO thesis, something I've been writing mm -hmm. more about. I, if we accept the premise emergent from some of the most compelling aspects of theoretical physics, uh, Schrodinger's cat thought experiment, uh, the many worlds theory, it's a logical necessity that there exists other dimensions or other intersections of time. And we may have experiences of these uh, other dimensions or other intersections of time. Um, and we refer to them by terms like poltergeist or UFO or anomaly or ESP or what have you. These are just yeah. place markers. These are metaphors for experiences that we don't fully understand, but they may be ripe and they may be all around us. Now, apropos of your second point, William James made the observation that he saw no reason that belief in a certain principle, call it God or something else, wouldn't heighten the experience of that principle in one's existence, that the very belief itself in an actual concrete way, not just as some sort of cognitive prejudice, but in an actual way, could open the door, so to speak, to the influences of the thing believed in more and more in the individual's life, which I suppose is another of the reasons that I write so extensively these days on ESP research, because it could be that if we understand this aspect of psyche, then it becomes less complicated in terms of liturgy, ritual, preparation to actually access and experience it. We come to know ourselves perhaps, perhaps, in a less uh, encumbered way. Yeah. Well, and this aspect of knowing oneself in, in the, in the um, on the spiritual path, if we want to call it that, not everyone experiences this as a path or anything, is, uh, for me, it's it's primordial. And I have many friends who are, are part of um, um, more established traditions, and for them, it seems to contribute to their path or their evolution uh, until yep. it doesn't, you know? Uh, so, but we're all, it's, and it's astro uh, contemplating astrology that made me realize how built on different frames and following different primordial principles we are like, uh, that there, there can't be just one truth. And it's hard for me to just trust one model, you know, yeah. uh, because of that. 
And I will include, I will take the risk to include some of your work, Mitch. <laughs> because I, as I, I, I was saying in the beginning, I really struggled with uh, uh, so, some of the, um, the the exercises that I've, I've that proved to work for a lot of people. And I, I know that you've had yeah. a lot of, you know, so yeah. I'm not questioning that. Um, to me, like af after a little while, I would lose interest. Like, um, for example, like 30 day uh, miracle. I'm oh, the 30 day mental challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't, I've tried many times, uh, in other, uh, in other ways too, but just the fact that I tried was extremely important to understand how I'm built and how I am able to manifest and be productive in life. So um, all this brings me to uh, a question that I, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious uh, to know your, your thoughts about is how does one uh, kind of structure their uh, <laughs> their path or their their search, you know, because, uh, as I said, uh, I have a lot of friends around me who are very uh, stuck in their <laughs> beliefs and their practices. And but I also see a lot of people who just kind of float around and never truly confront themselves. So there's no. Yeah, there's there's no strength in the, in what they're doing, you know, and it's just sure. basically just floating around. So how does one, uh, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it depends of course, upon the state of the individual. If, if an individual finds him or herself in a state where, um, what they're doing in commerce, what they're doing in their family life, um, how they relate to people, how they, uh, um, what kind of self-image they, they, they operate from. If all that is going well, then I, I would say there's nothing else to be done. I don't think that anybody has to go on a search or, <laughs> you know, leave their home for all I care. You know, it's <laughs> more power to you. You know, I might even fall at your feet and beg you to become my teacher, you know? Um, <laughs> and, and then I, I suppose you could say the ideal of the Buddha was that there be no search, that there be no Buddhism, that there be no labels. Um, yeah. and I honor that. Um, <clears throat> I think that following affinity is important. At least it certainly has been for me. One of the affinities that I feel, the thing that drives me in the direction of a set of teachings or of ideas, mm -hmm. it very often starts with the purveyor of those ideas, the personality, uh, the persona uh, I perceive, at least historically, behind, behind the ideas. So I got very interested, for example, years ago in the persona of G.I. Gurji. Um, I got interested in the persona of H.P. Blavatsky. I got interested in the persona of Neville Goddard. Uh, I grew interested in the persona um, of Anton LaVey. Um, a whole range of people whose work I felt deserved a look or a second look or a third look because something about the persona of the purveyor appealed to me in some way. And mm -hmm. 
I've always followed that. Uh, I don't feel that anybody needs to apply him or herself to anything outside of that sense of affinity in the search. Mm-hmm. The only proof being the experience of the seeker, the conduct of the seeker. Mm. I am much more interested in searching with, having an exchange with a person who is demonstrably effective in outer life, which is the proven ground for most of our existence. One could say it's just the tip of the glacier and the real thing is going on below the surface, and that's that's okay. But the mm-hmm. truth is um, we have to pay debts, conduct commerce, maintain homes, care for other beings, be cared for to some extent by other beings, uh, keep or break our word, uh, repay or welch on our debts, um, show up or not show up, do a good job or do a just good enough job. And those are the areas in which our daily existence is, is, is measured and is, is counted off until the period of physical decline that precedes death. The extra physical is part of that too, but I believe it's very important that one be impeccable uh, to the degree possible in those areas of life that we commonly share. In the absence of that impeccability, uh, I'm just not interested, frankly. I don't Mm -hmm. want to hear about reincarnation from somebody who can't water a houseplant. I don't want to hear (laughs) about meditation or prayer or extraordinary synchronicities from someone who can't um, show up to do a job that he or she is uh, committed to doing, or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I place a lot of stock in that. Um, I often find it much more interesting to talk to people from worlds of finance or media or something like that than I do um, worlds of spirituality, because I think some people flee uh, the demands of outer life by claiming themselves spiritual, and therefore they don't have to um, perform at these tasks that they might find very difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. And search can never be exactly found in running from what is d- difficult to, to perform uh, unless, well, look, I- I'm happy to be challenged on that. You know, if somebody doesn't want to conform to outer life, that's fine with me. Um, but there are they're going to have to demonstrate in their conduct and experience um, something valuable, something valuable, mm-hmm. and n- not just somebody, again, who wants to pinhole you at a party or a spiritual center and talk about something but doesn't know how to unstuff a toilet, you know. Um, and 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 so I'm not pushing anybody to be on the search, but I do feel, speaking for myself, that one of the ineffable qualities of the search is I don't want to tell other people what to do. And I yeah. expect the same um, in reciprocity. And that that quality, that quality that we all harbor of wanting to tell another person how to approach the most intimate experiences of his or her life or what to read or what to eat or what door to open or whatever it may be. Uh, mm-hmm.
authentic search ethically, therapeutically, spiritually, whatever it may be. I suspect mm -hmm. that, that that urgency to tell other people what to do, to correct other people, uh, recedes. Yep. I love it. Actually, my uh, my second interview was with um, Ian Duncan, who's a, a Taoist priest and a, I guess he would call himself a spiritual teacher. And I did ask, ask him, uh, what does that mean? What's, what's exactly the role of a spiritual teacher? And I love his answer. Uh, basically, he gave me a pretty long answer. And this, at the end, it's he said, basically, it's just asking, are you sure? That's yeah. terrific. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, this search is uh, pretty lon lonesome in many ways. That's why I think the DIY aspect of it is so uh, important. Um, and on that subject, because I've been also kind of almost obsessively asking around. <laughs> um, about um how do i frame this um the presence of gods i've i've heard you uh sometimes uh refer to um deities that were um uh, at least inspiring or maybe nourishing uh for you in your life and um man the the the, the um the answers i've got were pretty wild because you know like it gets into will and then free will and do the gods have will and do you have free will and it gets pretty convoluted but still i'm i'm always curious to know how um seekers such as you experience something that they call a an entity or a god really? um I have my own experiences of that. Uh, it's hard for me to put them in in a in a category of a, a being with a free will, just like me or you, you know, uh, because they don't seem to change their minds very much, you know, uh, as opposed to human beings. Uh, so, do they fit more in the category of an archetype or a primordial energy, or so? Any thoughts on that? Because yeah, it's, it's it's such a personal question. Um, I'm very unsettled on questions like monotheism or whether everything converges on one point. I suppose we in the West and maybe in other parts of the world as well are encouraged to think in terms of this universal oneness, and I suppose arguably. We see this in nature. The sun emits rays, emits heat. Where is all this coming from? Where are these photons coming from? Well, it all converges to this one place, which then is a dot compared to someplace else. And, and, and we, our perception, which feels overwhelmingly persuasive, is that everything that is a thing converges somewhere. I, I don't know if that's true. I have absolutely no way of verifying that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I know that our ancient ancestors, even going back to pre-human existence, Neanderthal existence, 
um, existence uh, in a, a, a simian versus a homo sapien form, presuming you know these are our earliest human ancestors, they we know that Neanderthal men and women had a spiritual existence. They used totems to assist in the hunt, like uh, an eagle claw or a bear claw. Uh, we know that uh, Neanderthal man uh, possessed figurines, which in the 19th century were deemed Venus figurines, mm -hmm. uh, obviously a contemporary term for them, that were to uh, abet fertility. So it, it mm -hmm. would almost be like a feminine figure, kind of plump, um, with breasts and a humanoid form that was intended to communicate um, fertility. And mm -hmm. so we know that we as a human species and even our ancestors in the form of Neanderthal men and women for hundreds of thousands of years were possessed of a spirituality uh, that was not necessarily monotheistic, not necessarily monotheistic. Um, different entities and objects were associated with worship from the moon to different animals to the human form itself. And monotheism for us in the West, those of us who have grown up within the shadow of the Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, it feels so absolute and so certain. Uh, one might feel that way even within the Vedic cultures. But I don't think that there's any imperative other than thought parameters that, again, may be so overwhelmingly familiar, they, they feel as present as drawing breath, but I don't know that that should dictate or control our search. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to me, it seems to me that one of the aspects of Christianity and, and of Islam that have heavily colored our world in the West is the imperative to propagate. And that imperative to propagate is very also very, very deeply felt within the Western mindset. Um, this, again, I'm speaking from familiarity. I'm not suggesting this is absent in other cultures or parts of the world as well. Mm -hmm. But we in the West, particularly those of us raised in the shadow of the Abrahamic traditions, particularly with respect to Christianity and Islam, are induced to propagate. And that colors our intellect so heavily, and it can be very, very limiting. Why should there be this need to propagate? It's just it's just a, a kind of corporate thinking, and <laughs> obviously it could be justified theologically. If you really believe that, um, look, Muhammad is bringing a good life to us. Jesus is bringing a good life to us. Let's spread the good news. Let's go to the highways and hedges and bring them in. And if they don't cooperate, you know, uh, maybe they will at the point of a sword. And that's the human story here in the West, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, along with much else, of course. Um, and I really want to, I really want to examine that. I really want to take that apart. I really want to get away from that, personally speaking. Mm -hmm. um, if I feel like propagating, I will. If I don't feel like propagating, I won't. And I don't want to be propagated too, unless somebody's got something damn useful that they want to share with me. Uh, you want to share the Buddhist chant, Nam Myoho Renge Kyo? Good. Nichiren Buddhists do propagate, and I want to learn from them, and I want to learn about that chant. And if I want more, I will come to you. Don't come mm -hmm. to me. 
leave me alone, you know? Um, <laughs> and that capacity to leave one another alone is so underappreciated, including this necessity that people feel to make sarcastic remarks or to tell people what to do over social media, which is where we spend a huge amount of our lives. <laughs> um, just try leaving people the hell alone for an hour. See how it goes. <laughs> you know, I offer that to people. <laughs> Clearly, uh, I love how you uh, deconstruct things, and then you, you, you're the, the the fact that you, uh, as I said, you're thought provoking because you're you're provoking those heavily settled ideas, and it. Personally, the, 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 I think that's the biggest impact you're, you, you've had on me, uh, you and your work, is uh, twofold. Uh, firstly, uh, reconsidering how maybe New Age thinking and of my past has contrib uh, contributed positively in my life, because I tend to uh kind of refrain from that now because i've 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 because i ended up um realizing that i still have to pay the rent you know so it was like oh all that crap that manifestation shit you know that i don't want any of that and people who believe that are dumb well not necessarily you know and um the second uh way you've helped me so much with uh your work is um Because at the same time that I discovered um, new age uh, culture with my uh, basically through my my mom uh, when I was I don't know 14 maybe uh, I also got a hold of a, a Zen book. It's just it it was a, a book of Zen stories that I I still have to this day oh. and that I still and Zen koans and just little. Um, yeah, Zen stories, basically. So Wait. a part of me went into the, the Eastern, uh, I don't want to say it in a, in a way that's too broad or too, uh, <laughs> too vulgar, but the, the non-dualism of Eastern thought, you know, yeah. and yeah. I understood how maybe I'm not built for that, you know, to, 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 uh, to be able to pay the rent as a non-dualist, you know, <laughs> you know, we pay attention to linearity. I have to show up to talk to you at 1 PM Eastern. <laughs> If not, you know, exactly. Well, the thing is, uh, there, there's still experiences I've had because of that that I, I can't just put aside. I've had them and I, and so I know there's a, in a way, non-dualism is very logical. If you push it to, if you push thought to its extremes, you know, when, when, uh, when words reach their limit, you know, and yeah, I don't know exactly how you experience that because you're s someone who's so good with words. And I, I appreciate your, your, your interest also to kind of dis um to pull those word the some words apart and and just uh, uh rebuild them in a way that you uh 
you feel more um, either productive or more concrete or more actualizable. Is that a, is that a word? <laughs> oh no, I I dig it. I I I began to realize how within our most commonly used terms across different languages our walls our gates we have to generalize or we won't be able to communicate so mm -hmm. at the time i'll remind people and remind myself i'm not going to get hung up with including or excluding this term or that term and um i'm not going to constantly put asterisks next to everything so as to question the experience because to some degree we all generalize and we have to generalize or we just couldn't make plans and get through the day and so forth. But mm -hmm. I didn't come to realize the extent to which we are walled in by uh, concepts which, which fall under the rubric of words. So non-attachment, inner, essence, non-identified, mm -hmm. all those things are supposed to be good and their opposites bad in the spiritual search. And it dawned on me at a certain point, I don't know any of that to be correct. I don't know any of that to be correct. Um, someone chastised me for being uh, outer looking, outer looking, you know, too concerned with outer material life. And I thought to myself, hmm, well, in the spiritual culture, nobody wants to be called that because the suggestion is that you're kind of backward, you're looking in the wrong place. Um, you're 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 misdirected you you went down the wrong road yeah i get it i get it but i'm experiencing authentic and retentive joy sometimes when i'm doing things that are so-called outer like having this conversation right now and mm -hmm. To turn away from that, it would seem to me, would be the equivalent of playing a cruel joke on myself. It would be refusing evidence in favor of what's supposed to be. There's yeah. a joke I was telling somebody the other day. You might know that in Persian tradition, there's this figure, Mullah Nasiruddin, and the Mullah is kind of an idiot genius. He's always getting <laughs> into trouble, and yet his troubles are almost acts of theater that point up how absurd we are as human beings. And there's a famous story about the mullah. I mean, there's thousands of them in Persian tradition. There's a famous story about the mullah. And uh, one night he loses his keys outside his house. And uh, a neighbor comes to check up on him. And he finds that the mullah is searching for his keys inside the house. And he said, mullah, you lost your keys outside the house. Why are you searching inside? And the mullah says, there's better light in here. And that's the way that... <laughs> You know, we get misdirected on the church. Oh, but, you know, um, the, 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 this is where I'm supposed to be, right? You know, this is where the light is. I have to be searching in here. You know, mm -hmm. and and it could be such a cruel absurdity that we play on ourselves. Uh, why, should, why should the search be definable by all these terms that may, in fact, be tearing the seeker in two, but he or she keeps at it because, well, there's better light in here. And, you know, but it's ridiculous because obviously the keys are outside. So mm. the 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 notion that oh you know I should try I should try hard to be more inner focused or mm. try this try that um, or observe myself when I'm experiencing joy. Maybe I'll see that those are hopeless little soap bubbles that go pop and I'm nothing but a hungry ghost. These are all <laughs> conceptual terms 
these are all decisions that were made by somebody else. None mm -hmm. of them are verified by me. And I began to realize that the sense of relaxation in the profoundest sense that I was experiencing when I'm doing the things that I feel the deepest affinity for, that I feel most unified by, uh, whether it's writing or speaking or and all kinds of things. Um, why should I be separating that from my search? How do I know that the world that we can see and the world that we can't see are, in fact, uh, different worlds, ordered differently, that one's better than the other, and I should be seeking to drink from one well or not the other? Maybe it's the same well. I started mm -hmm. to wonder about that. So that's animated uh, uh, many of my questions recently. Mm-hmm. I've, I have to admit that at one point, I was uh, uh, one of those, I, I was, I, of course, I wasn't uh, very aggressive about it, but I, I, I was wondering, like, is that guy like a materialist? Like, uh, and like, like it doesn't make sense because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just trying to steer us in a, a, the wrong direction. No, I'm kidding. I wasn't thinking that, but because, as I said in the beginning, uh, when I, I I read your books or listen to you speak, I always have in the back of my mind like this guy is smart. Don't forget. So there's there might be something you're missing, um, or there might be something that just it doesn't resonate and uh, um, with my experience of life. And this I, I is such. And I encounter figures like that. You know, I might encounter somebody who has conclusions that I'm very uncomfortable with, but I feel that there's something compelling about his or her character, either living or historically, more often historically. Yeah. Uh, and and I won't give up on that person because I think, again, it's the person, him or herself, that I evaluate first. I mean, what else mm -hmm. is there? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And And if you don't give up easily... Uh, sometimes you, you you're very surprised, and one of those surprises be, uh, came when I was doing uh, I was preparing for uh, this interview uh, because believe it or not, people I do prepare even though sometimes I'm a bit messy. It shows so important. <laughs> All right, uh, so because I've heard you um, in an interview talk about how you came with the uh, ten day mental challenge. Yeah, uh, how you came up with that exercise for you because you didn't feel like I can't remember exactly how you put it, but how um, some other things didn't uh, resonate for you, and then for uh, to create and to work on this ten-day mental challenge was a search on how you are functioning and. To experience, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, by the way, if in anything that I'm saying. Um, so to, to create an experience that, 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 yeah, that would resonate with your way of manifesting. And yeah. uh, so I noticed right there, like, that's the thing. Like, it was like, okay, I get how, although, like, it seems uh, to some seekers like the the material and the manifesting aspect might seem a bit superfluous and you know superficial yeah 
I realized how deeply you thought you thought about these things and how how seriously you considered it. Um, I, I appreciate that, and I, I really want to thank you for that because I feel very seen by that remark. I think one of the most painful things that a person experiences is the incapacity of somebody else to to recognize the dedication, the seriousness, the ingenuousness with which they are approaching a certain question. And immediately within our culture, we have people who dismiss whole swaths of ideas because, uh, you know, I don't believe in this economic idea. I don't believe in this spiritual idea. That idea is for dummies. And, and I get it. I'm not, I'm not oblivious to any of this, but in terms of say manifestation or a selection is the term that I use. Um, again, mm -hmm. the degree to which somebody is truly, truly putting sweat equity and effort into that question is everything, is everything. Because yeah. all of us can just take a term off a shelf and say, I'm this, I'm that. And the the association itself is sufficient to bespeak seriousness and they never have to qualify for or apologize anything for anything again. And one of the things I learned in my outer uh, career, I suppose you could say, one of the things I learned in my work in publishing, for example, and that mm -hmm. I try to bring into every area of life is you don't seek out depth or quality based on subject. You seek it out based on querent. Who is behind it? Who is doing the work? So I'm, I'm vastly more interested in uh, the individual behind the search that I am in what school yeah. of thought he or she is pursuing, or for that matter, writing on. I've read infinitely more intelligent books on maybe a topic that seems overly familiar to us, like tarot, for example, um, mm. certain works to which people have dedicated dissertations out of uh, coming out of really highly regarded divinity schools at Harvard or Chicago or something. Mm. Um, sort of down and dirty example, and I want to speak very broadly about this, but Henry Wallace, uh, for example, who was Franklin Roosevelt's second vice president, big occult seeker, dedicated theosophist, interested in astrology, interested in Native American shamanism, Tibetan Buddhism, somebody who was considered, say, in the 1930s and 40s, a real weirdo within North American culture. You know, North Americans <laughs> weren't heavily invested in Native American shamanism and Tibetan Buddhism and, you know, theosophy <laughs> at that time. And he yeah. took a lot of shit. For it, 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 it ruined his political career. And I love this man because he had difficulty understanding, as I have difficulty understanding, the inability of people to see the seriousness of his search. And mm -hmm. I love him for that. I love him for that because... We tend to project ourselves everywhere. So a cynic sees cynics everywhere. Uh, an idealist sees idealists everywhere. And mm -hmm. Wallace was possessed of the belief, not because he was foolish, but because he was a real seeker and a real idealist. He was possessed of the belief that surely the Washington press corps, if he sat down and just explained it to them, would grasp the seriousness of his search, even if they didn't share it. And I encounter people all the time, you encounter people all the time, who say, oh, you're into this or you're into that. That's bullshit. That's training wheels. Well, that's ridiculous. You know, based on what evidence, that's just arguing taste, like which is better, chocolate or vanilla? And 
preposterous. You know, it's just arguing yeah. tape. The, the 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 proving ground is in the conduct and the experience of the individual, which is why again and again I'm emphasizing relationships, conduct, ethics. Don't ask me if I've gotten anywhere. Ask my 17-year-old son in the next room. You know, ask my partner who's downstairs. You know, ask them. Um, mm-hmm. Am I am I standing up and keeping my word? You know, on Friday afternoon, not yeah. in some dramatic ethereal way. And look into my life and and see what I do and how I live to the greatest extent you're possible. But but that's possible. But 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 you know, look look in the mirrors of relationship, and 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 be fucking brutal with yourself about it. Um, <laughs> start there, you know. So I appreciate what you're saying because people are incapable of thinking outside of categories especially categories that are popular. And I gravitate towards categories that are popular, whether it's new thought or transcendental meditation or what have you. The ability to reach people with a metaphysical idea or technique when life is so profoundly busy and something can break through, something can break through, I'm intrigued by that. And I want to I look at those things. I want to examine those things. I'm also interested in things that are wildly unpopular that I might find a certain persona, expression, statement within that I'm very aroused by. And um, mm-hmm. I I adopt the freedom unilaterally <laughs> to gravitate <laughs> towards that. And I'll share what I found because I'm a seeker. And mm-hmm. that's it. Great, great. Um, I, I want to be mindful of your time. So uh, maybe one or two questions more, if you don't mind. Oh, go ahead. You know, be, be free. Good. I'm enjoying our talk. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Um, well, all of you, all of what you just said, um, actually, uh, reminded me of, of someone I've, I will be very, uh, impressed if you know this person, because she is somewhat known, but, uh, I'll explain. So when I was um, uh, from a period uh, in a, a period between 17 and maybe 22, 23 years old, I, I, I went to a place uh, um, in the eastern townships here in uh, in Quebec um, called I don't, I don't even know if they had a, a, an English name, but Institut de Développement de la Personne. So like the Institute for personal development or something and the the woman who was directing and and created that that place uh was someone called annie marquis she's wrote she's written a a bunch of books all on um i don't even know how to call it um one of them was called uh the 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 pouvoir de choisir the the power to choose. Um, another one was La Liberté, uh, the, the free, uh, that's probably not the, the, the exact translation, but the freedom to be or something like that. And that book actually was in Oprah's book club once. So she was kind of well known in a way, you know, although she was French and uh, she was working in, uh, uh, in French mainly, I guess. Um, Still, my point, uh, where I'm going with that is because it was a place where there was like, uh, they created um, like uh, um, uh, workshops that would last like a whole weekend and they have different themes and all of that. 
And at the time, I didn't know that it, it, it felt a bit new agey and like it had a kind of a cultish feel to it. Although I knew that this, the person leading this, this place like was really trying to avoid that as much as possible. So yeah. it's just after years of life experience and after leaving that place that I realized how deep this person's work was. She was inspired by uh, a lot, I think, by, um, um, I'm drawing a blank here, uh, not uh, Annie Besson. Um, uh, she, she channeled, you know, you know her for sure. Um, you mean Alice, Alice Bailey, Alice Bailey. Alice yeah, Bailey, that's huh? it. Yeah. So, um, Rudolf Steiner and, but she never talked about these people, you know? Well, I'm very interested to read this woman. I don't know her work. Um, I like, I like discovering, I like things that are very simple. I like things that mm -hmm. are very simple because our lives are so complex and our needs are so great uh, that to me, Simplicity can be a very clarifying blade that cuts through things, and it's good if it works. Um, yep. I'm interested in um, a mystical figure named Vernon Howard, who died here in the United States in 1992. I never met the man, but um, I love his work. He confuses people because he gave his books very lurid titles, very sensationalistic titles, like the mystic path to cosmic power. Oh boy. Living, I would ask him why he gave his book such lurid titles. I assume he felt that it would reach the broadest possible number of people. And he really truly didn't give a shit whether anybody liked them or not. And I love mm -hmm. that about the man, you know, he would write a book called esoteric mind power and somebody thought, Oh, that sounds so silly. And and his attitude, I remember he told a room full of students once, we're here every Thursday night, uh, everybody's welcome, uh, you don't like what you hear, don't come back. And he, <laughs> I like that quality. Um, anyway, his stuff was very, very, very simple. Um, he would tell students, write down the phrase, false feeling of life on a little piece of paper. Now, live with that for six months. And that's it, you know, that's today's lesson. Um, and I, 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 I think... He promulgated so much that was, for me personally, truthful. He also promulgated things that I couldn't make peace with. So I'm I'm always in a wrestling match with Vernon, but I love mm -hmm. him. I love him, and the simplicity of his work is astonishing. So much so that for many people of a more scholastic bent, they're incapable of approaching it. It's embarrassing to them, just like it's embarrassing to be seen reading "Think and Grow Rich" on the New York City subways or what have you. You know, um, yeah. cover something else you know and uh <laughs> so i read Foucault. you know i don't read this crap you know? <laughs> um uh and of course uh that book within the folds and contradictions of the life of its author appear extraordinary wonderful ideas which is what creates such dedication to the book something that um the snobs will never understand and the inability to enter a work because we don't like its it's form, it's wrapping, it's too simple, that's baby stuff, that's training wheels, that's Mickey Mouse stuff, I need the real thing, you know, it's it's crap, because it, 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 de it deters experience, it deters experience, and mm -hmm. we, turn, um, we turn the search into 
a almost an exercise in prejudice. And if again the proof of the pudding is 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 in the hourly existence of a person's life, and usually, usually, and this is something I learned from Vernon Howard, the first marker is the capacity to leave other people alone. Without that capacity to leave other people alone, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that a person can really be on a search because, again, there's a, a tendency to want to protect what one claims for oneself. And if mm -hmm. I'm claiming the right to be left alone and I don't extend that to you or to your listeners, what does that make me? It's kind of the worst kind of, of, of hypocrite. <laughs> and and I should be called out as such. So I, yeah. I think I think stuff starts to happen when we feel less urgent about um, shoving other people around, including through you know dumbass remarks and things that uh, actually deteriorate our sense of self-respect. Mm -hmm. uh, salt or piss on another person or disrupt another person's life we feel a sense of sublimated shame that I think we paper over by just going back to the bottle, taking over, taking another swig, mm -hmm. uh, kind of, you know, the, the mods, the mod very model of addiction. Um, I'm unhappy. And then I take refuge in the thing that's killing me, but we do yeah. that on social media and in daily life all the while, not realizing the sense of degradation that it visits on us, which is the compulsion to keep doing it over and over because it's the one relieving thing. I believe that's part of what Vernon was driving at when he referenced a false feeling of life. Mm -hmm. By the way, uh, just so people know, I've um, there, there's um, a struggle that you've uh, talked about in a presentation from many years ago um, um, about the thought of... Um, um, you, you, it, it feels like you had a kind of a, a little boxing match between um uh vernon howard and and um yes and neville goddard, uh, and neville goddard. <laughs> about yeah. the and i don't want to get into that uh because it's it could be a long thing but uh just this notion of uh, my will be done against thy will be done yes uh, this yes. is something i i really encourage uh people diving into for themselves um i've did i've done i did so i've done due diligence and in, in fact i it's actually because i i self uh, published a book last june and um actually you are mentioned in there in that struggle and my own struggle with those ideas also in um in a, a chapter also dedicated to this so i will link in the show notes uh the, the um, a presentation that you've you've done about this i think it's it to me, it was life-changing to uh, consider Appreciate those qu questions uh, very seriously. Appreciate that. Yeah, I yeah. think that was in a lecture possibly titled The Miracle Club that I delivered at the Philosophical Research Society, which is on their channel on, on YouTube, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I have it somewhere, so yeah, sure. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, one last question. Are you good? Sure. I want to I make it... Um, um, not too heavy just to to end with because it's something i've uh and it's completely it feels like a bit of a left field thing because uh, it's just a subject that i i haven't heard you talk about a lot and i'm kind of 
curious as to maybe why or um, because a lot of people nowadays are thinking about and talking about uh, uh, technology and the the advent of uh, of um, uh, yeah AI large uh, language models and all that stuff and to me like when I I look in the future and kind of try to um, make sense of what all that could mean I'm like yo we're <laughs> we're gonna go through like uh, some kind of uh, forced uh, I'm gonna use the word awakening in a way or or forced um, <laughs> destruction I don't know exactly no. how it's gonna go maybe some, sometimes uh, those two concepts uh, they go very well together destruction and awakening anyways so how come I've maybe I just missed it like how do you see that in the future like the uh, how can I even put this okay how does the future how does the future with AI look for the seeker weird well, it's not a too long of a question. No, no, not at all. On. <laughs> a lot of people have noted that I don't say too much about spirituality and technology, and they wonder uh, about how the digital era has altered, has changed the spiritual search. And of course, one can venture all kinds of metaphors between extra physical and digital experience. There's a tantalizing. Um, Maybe one could find tantalizing intersections between the two. My perspective is that human nature is constant and that the tools through which human nature travels in its forms of expression tend to heighten uh, or disinhibit certain aspects of it. So, for example, on social media, the anonymity, the 24-7 availability, the satisfaction to give us attention, either positive or negative, heightens aspects of human nature that we might wish were not heightened. Um, everyone is aware uh, of the piss-poor quality of human dialogue over social media, for example, the rhetorical questions, the lowbrow sarcasm, uh, the cruelty, the insults, the anonymity, um, which is really a form of cowardice in many cases. Um, not all. I... Uh, it seems to me that all social media has done is serve to disinhibit certain traits of human nature. It's, it's helped and hurt with commerce. I'm glad I was able to sell books during um, the pandemic lockdown. So um, I, I, I recognize fully that there's other sides to that. Every stick has two ends, as, as Gurjeep said, and we're going to see the, those experiences. It seems to me those consequences accelerate. I, 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 I fathom that within five years or so, um, AI is going to be responsible for a great portion of the narration that we hear, the voiceover that we hear, the narration over audiobooks, and is going to find its way into all kinds of uh, working professions. Um, and we are going to be, we as a human community are going to be faced with very, very heavy questions about what the hell to do and how to structure our economy and 
we're going to need a different tax code because we're going to have different modes of work. And a lot of people may find themselves uh, without work that they were once able to rely upon because of the advent of AI. I'm, I can't fathom that there's any thinking person who doesn't care a hell of a lot about that. How or whether it's changed our search, um, it's an open question for me. Certainly, mm -hmm. again, human nature is so constant. Our problems are so constant. I mean, wow, you, um, you'll still find human archetypes in all the ancient myths. Uh, it's not like we don't recognize the characters from Homer or Shakespeare, or we don't recognize the wisdom intrinsic in uh, the art of war, impulsivity, anger is a human problem. We recognize mm -hmm. things, and so human nature is consistent, but the onrush of information and the availability of a 24-7 microphone heightens aspects of human nature. And yeah. uh, I, I, I'm interested, I have to say, I have to say, I'm interested in uh, the question of accelerants on the path, whether certain things can serve as accelerants. I remember apropos of not allowing somebody's experience to usurp our own. Many years ago, I was in an esoteric group and I asked a certain question and an elder member of the group said, there are no shortcuts. And I got to thinking, how do I know there are no shortcuts? I hear that so often and it sounds so admittedly commonsensical that one just immediately wants to embrace it. But I don't know that that's true. Maybe TM mm -hmm. is a shortcut. Maybe the mantra of Emil Kue uh, is a shortcut. Maybe chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo is a shortcut. You know, how do the has the individual know? Maybe the books of Vernon Howard or the the Power to Choose that you were referencing are a shortcut. I don't know that. You know, I don't know that. And mm -hmm. I would encourage the individual not to accept something just because it's so overwhelmingly familiar or commonsensical sounding. I don't even believe there is such a thing as common sense, or the world would be much better off if it's common sense to look where you're going when you're fucking passing through a stop sign. Um, it seems to me <laughs> we're in short supply. I, I like to speak in terms of good sense, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know with apologies to Thomas Paine that there's so such a thing as common sense. Um, and yet these things have a pull on us. And I guess all I'm really trying to say is that if the pressures of daily life are become um, more intense or come at us more quickly due to tech, I don't know. Uh, we may require accelerants on the path, in fact. And um, mm -hmm. I don't know if those things are real. I don't know if things are possible. And neither does anybody else. The individual simply has to experiment or reject that experiment. You know, it's 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 up to the individual. But I care very deeply about the question of accelerants. And that's probably something I'm going to be focusing more on over the next year or so. Mm. Love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, when I think about all of that, I have to say, and that's not to disparage any uh, uh, suffering that people might uh, experience in, in chaotic times, but I do look at all that. And um, maybe it's my, my rising Scorpio uh, aspect that, that makes me uh, very comfortable in chaos and I strive in chaos uh, and I kind of love it in a way. So, but I'm like, I think of the future and I, I have this 
tricksterish smile that comes on. I'm like, oh, that's gonna be cool. You know? We're we're gonna have a front row seat, you know. So, <laughs> I, I just this year here in the United States, one hell of a year, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh wow! Listen, man, I was a bit nervous at the beginning. Uh, we had some little um, technical issues. Uh, but I'm happy of how this discussion turned out. It was really great speaking with you, man. Pleasure. A pleasure. Hope, Absolutely. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. I hope we have uh, other occasions such as this. Um, uh, so if I want to be a good podcaster, I guess I have to finish with Mitch. Where can people find you? And oh, actually, I, sh I should ask. Uh, well, I do know the answer, but what what uh, are you working on right now? Well, my most recent book is Modern Occultism, which I'm very proud of. And I have a new yep. book coming out in the month of March called Happy Warriors, which is a, which tells the story of the lives and search of some of the key thinkers in the positive mind tradition, touching on some of what we've talked about. So in that book, Happy Warriors, you find profiles of Neville Goddard, Vernon Howard, Florence Scobell Shin, Napoleon Hill, and I I hope that seekers will find a lot of nourishment in this book because I pay as much attention to the failures as the successes, the shortcomings, uh, and as much as the splendors. We have to see these people not as monochromatic, but as whole men and women. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them had real problems in their lives, and uh, some of them produced extraordinary work. Some of them produced questionable work. Uh, some of them did things that I find very frustrating and objectionable. Some of them did things that have been very moving to me. But we can't see these people as stick figures, uh, and that goes for those of us who are favorable and disfavorable towards them. So I try to use Happy Warriors to really delve into their lives and get into the guts of what they were about and what they produced, its failures, its successes, and where it leaves us as seekers today and what it might require building upon. So I'm excited about that book. Yeah. I love that title. I love that title, man. <laughs> it's from a um it's from a, a poem called by from um uh William Wordsworth uh, called the the um the character of the happy warrior. Great. Love it. All right. So I guess MitchHorowitz.com, it's all there. You're on Twitter also. It's all there. Um, MitchHorowitz.com. And um, let's see. Uh, if you if you go to MitchHorowitz.com, you'll find a bunch of links. I'm on Twitter, at MitchHorowitz, on Instagram, at MitchHorowitz23. Um, and there's there's plenty of ways to find me. Uh, I got a class coming up in one week called Icons of Modern mm -hmm. America that I'm putting up with the Theosophical Society. There's a lecture that they just put up on their website right now called Occultism as Philosophy, which is yep. sort of an introductory lecture to the class. It's free, obviously. It's on YouTube on Theosophical Society's uh, webpage. Yep. I And by the way, I, I will link to that also because uh, in the show notes, because I was present for that uh, that talk and it was... So great. So, all right. I'm going to let you go. Uh, well, actually, if you don't mind staying real quick after we start recording. Right. We'll jump. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, thanks again, Mitch. Thank you.
So you've made it to the end of this Hopscotch Chronicles podcast episode, and I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed doing it. And I thank you so much for your attention, and I hope you, uh, you're benefiting in a way or another from this conversation. So if you'd like to follow my work, whether on this podcast or my uh, personal work, you can go to Twitter or X and follow me at Domi underscore Valet, D-O-M-I underscore Valet. Same username for uh, Instagram, if you prefer that platform. You can also go to the official website for the podcast, which is hopscotchchronicles.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast as well as my personal work, you can do so by subscribing to my Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash Dominique Vallée, D-O-M-I-N-I-C Vallée, V-A-L-L-E-E. There you'll find video and audio versions of the, uh, the episodes without any commercials, as well as special episodes on every Sunday where I take my Sunday afternoon tea with you guys. All right, thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep reaching for the light.